Troll on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the majestic forests of Maine. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, and it's Animal Attacks April, where we're going to watch a whole bunch of animal biting people movies uh, in the hopes that uh, a, a, a paper mill uh, thug's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person I trust that if I need her to understand a point, she will sit and listen to a tape-recorded explanation of what I could just easily fucking tell her. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I, I'm good, but I thought you were going to say that I, I would catch you a, a, a giant salmon. <laughs> no, I don't know if you, well, you haven't uh, seen me fish. Um, I don't think I've ever told any fishing stories. I only have two. And both of them involve me hooking myself with my own fishing pole. Ow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, not outdoorsy. You're an Eagle Scout. <laughs> Again, I was an Eagle Scout. I was the third youngest Eagle Scout in California at the time for one reason and one reason only, and that was to never go camping or wear that uniform again. I, I just, I just an excuse to get out of it. I just assumed that you know, in becoming an Eagle Scout, one needs to be somewhat outdoorsy. No, you can actually just hate it the entire time and seethe with anger and resentment about it and have that fuel you towards an achievement other people can't even get close to. But you can't get a badge for that, though, for for seething anger. (laughs) Yeah, I think several of those badges had a lot of seething and anger involved in their achievement. It just, you know, not automatically reflected in the notes, as it were. See, I never got any further than like maybe like the first year of Girl Scouts. I was like, eh, fuck this. I was not allowed to fuck this. I wasn't allowed to fuck. I grew up very religious. And I wasn't a fan. Perhaps if you were, you wouldn't have been an Eagle Scout. I would be fine without having that achievement, to be honest with you. It it means about as much to me as the fact that I ran a robot for almost a year. Like, who fucking cares? It's so stupid. It's just the dumbest thing ever. You know what else is the dumbest thing ever? This movie. Uh, Prophecy, 1979's Prophecy from director John Frankenheimer, who directed good movies uh, before this, but decided, no, I'm done with that. (laughs) Yeah, all all of this, the the, the, the most predominant thing about this movie is there are a lot of people involved in it who've done better things. And they they are just capitalist slumming in it in this. (laughs) It is a media, it is a spectacular mediocre effort because it it's unnecessary in terms of why it decides to be as bad as it is at certain points. And then it has these glorious flashes of someone going, people are going to love and laugh at this moments. And you're kind of like, do you, do you why think can't you think it be more of that? You, you think that? I, I feel like it's extremely humorless. Like, it, oh, it, it, yeah. it takes itself yeah. very seriously. It does. But it also feels like we're going to, like, this is uh, exposing a universal truth. And, like, we could be an Oscar movie. But it also features a child who gets exploded in a sleeping bag. Those two uh, uh, things are not in the same lane. 
and a guy who gets his head bitten off like a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it with like the with like the attendant crunching noises. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the crazy thing about this is that there are moments that are so joyously joyfully ludicrous that either they were intentional or it's just one of those magical moments on film where it's unintentional but perfect. I, I'm gonna say it, it's it's the latter. Yeah. The funny the funny thing about this is like one of those movies for me where the video box art uh, uh just absolutely freaked me the fuck out as a child. Yeah. Uh it, I think it was fairly iconic as far as uh horror movie imagery goes. C- certainly in uh you know as far as marketing material goes. It was like this kind of deformed sort of bear creature like in like a in, in like a this was like a fetus yeah, it's and, a phantom of the forest sitch where it's, right it's all, right like one half of its face is kind of recognizable as a bear and the other half is like yeah and when i was a kid and i saw that i was like oh shit that thing's <laughs> that thing's probably hiding under my bed right now <laughs> right next but, to right next to right next to cujo <laughs> I mean, if it was hiding underneath your bed, you would be perfectly safe because it can't move. And that's a it's a real problem in this movie that the creatures cannot move. It all it can't move. And it also constantly announces its presence by going. Yeah, yeah, sort of this like kind of combination of like a uh, a bears bears they roar, I guess they roar, right? Growl. Yeah. And, and, um, and kind like, of a dinosaur too, yeah. And like a dinosaur and a duck quacking, and, and <laughs> it's not particularly terrifying. And, oh, no, it and, and, and also, it, it you it, again, it, it announces its presence with the sound it makes. Yeah, it looks like a a, a wet melted eraser got dropped into a, a bag of dog hair. It's just, <laughs> it, it's. Like you would think, like, well, if I saw this in flashes, if it was photographed better, if it's weirdly enough, like I would almost put it in the same category, just the creature we're talking about, not the movie, as the quote unquote geek in the fun house, right? Like that is a terrifying idea of a creature, but for whatever reason, they could never get that creature's face to move. They could get it to drool, but they couldn't get it to move. And it kind of the more you see it, the more it sucks away at what is an actual creepy, disturbing, unnerving film. And here, this is not creepy or uh, no, <laughs> no that, that you or can't, like you, you don't even have the satisfaction of saying, well, at least the monster is cool because yeah, no. the monster is not cool. No, it almost feels like no one gave thought to it. Like it'll be like you saw that shark in Jaws. You know, it'll be like that. Like people loved that. And that shark barely moved. But I will, uh, folks, <laughs> that shark, the shark worked. <laughs> like, you know what a shark looks like. And so when you see that, you're like, I listen, I know all of this is fake, but I care about the people on screen and I don't want to see them eaten. And then when you see a kid explode in a blood geyser, you're like, holy shit, this is for real. <laughs> And here, and it takes an, oh, almost an hour for that kid to explode in a blossom of feathers. And it's, 
hilarious. It because is he, laugh out loud funny. Because he decides that because I guess the, the zipper is broken on his sleeping yeah. bag, that he's just going to attempt to 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 hop away like a big giant glowworm. <laughs> That's not gonna work. Why why would you think that would work? You know, he's not think he's not in a place where rational thought lives. He's seen this mutant bear, the Phantom of the Forest, come out. And well, we don't know what happens to his dad and his his sister. They just like scream. Well, according to a, a later line of dialogue, they were they were brought to the rescue center in baskets. <laughs> in baskets. <laughs> uh, that's not how you transport dead bodies in baskets. Also, that doesn't make it worse. <laughs> why 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 would that be worse than a body bag in baskets? They were woven. They were. <laughs> decorative they were they were they were put on display with some easter grass that you'll be picking out of your carpet three months later (laughs) i would like to read to both eugenia and our audience a a quick excerpt from vincent canby's 1979 new york times review of prophecy and he says prophecy uh which opens today is full of lingering lap dissolves and elegant camera movements that suggest History is being made here. Leonard Rosenman's soundtrack uh, music is so grand that it could be played at a coronation. And it is so loud that it pierces your ears and threatens your head. None of this fits the movie, which includes a fight between a man with an axe and a man with a chainsaw. There's a chainsaw fight in this. And normally we absolutely love chainsaw fights. Not here, however. I don't know how it's possible to suck the joy out of an axe on chainsaw fight, but it fucking happens here. Like it is just, this movie is obviously was greenlit because it's in the jaws mold and the screenwriters, the same person who wrote the omen, but none of it fucking works as intended. It is unbelievably turgid in almost all respects. And I understand why it's a a thing of camp. Like if you saw this in a group, right. And you were having a fun time with kind of how just rigid and goofy, unintentionally goofy. It is, this would be a good movie for that circumstance, but it is not inherently a good movie. No. So let's get right into it. This movie starts with watching three guys over the course of four minutes run in almost complete darkness on a soundstage. And like, that's a fucking movie. And then the dog gets away from them and jumps off a cliff. (laughs) It's like, fuck this. That dog is the smartest person in this entire movie. That's what it comes down to. He, that he got to look at he, he got to look he got to look at that script. He's like, I get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, Call my agent. <laughs> and then it's harnessed, so they're trying to pull the the this hound dog back up, and then something snaps the rope, and they're like, oh. Two of the guys go, well, we got to go down there and check on this dog. Now I understand this impulse and everything, but. This they they go down and they're looking at like what's happening down here and they immediately get ta- attacked by mutant bear, and then the third guy hears their terrified and horrific screams of being torn apart by 
an unbelievably tall and powerful creature. And he's like, I got to see this for myself. And he <laughs> goes fucking down. <laughs> when you hear people go like, ah, 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 that is not like, I got to see this for myself. Obviously, I'm going to be free from harm. So why don't I get down there? I mean, that dog was still at least like 20 feet off the fucking ground and it got snatched up by this creature. And this guy is saying to himself, I can overcome this. So he's like, zip, 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 and he goes down there and he just gets fucking yeeted off that rope. <laughs> and then we get a very <laughs> long sequence of watching his blood drip on the flashlight on his helmet. I think it's supposed to be arch. Is it? Is that what this is going for? Arc? It's so fucking long. Like you paint a picture and you movie, look at it and you're done. This movie, you got This movie really thinks it has something very important to say. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. It is, and it's not, and, and, and it's, and it's not. Mutant bears are cool. <laughs> we think we think that's what the movie is trying to say, but that's yeah. not what it's actually trying to say. I mean, I, I'm really trying to find a comparison. I don't know that there is one in horror to the attitude prophecy has about itself, but there, this feels like one of those Oscar movies that the joke is it's described on stage about, you know, Talia Shire plays a cello player who's brought into a torrent of economic disaster when she confronts the prophecy. And then they show a clip. That's what, like, this movie thinks is going to be presented at the fucking Oscars. Right. Like, I think that if you, you know, quote, unquote, dismiss this as a horror movie, you like, Frankenheimer and all that would have been appalled. <laughs> it's like, this is not a horror movie. <laughs> it is horrific because mankind is horrific. I think this would be his rejoinder to this. And, and, if, we, and if we don't come away with that, uh, from the movie with that, don't worry. The characters tell you that several times. Yeah. Uh, the first character that we really meet um, is Maggie, played by Talia Shire. Uh, not exactly fresh off the uh, the Godfather here, but she's uh, a first chair cello player, and she's in her first trimester of pregnancy, and she's dead last in her husband's considerations. Yeah, uh, Maggie spends pretty much 99% of the movie looking sad. Yeah. And then the other 1% looking scared. And neither feel believable given what else you can see within that frame. <laughs> um, it is a, a particularly thankless role. And I don't know, is she supposed, she's obviously supposed to be the audience surrogate because you would never get behind a character like Dr. Rob. I think I feel like some audiences would or 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 were meant to. I, I think that he, you know, was very much the you know, the, the the truth telling hero. He he has a bit of a, a white savior complex, and you can tell because he's got a Bee Gees beard. And <laughs> the rats are eating the babies, Patrick. They're eating the babies. I know we have given Randy a hard, you know, road on this show is, you know, one of our most repugnant characters, but I don't think we've ever run across a lead character as face punchable as Dr. Rob. 
And this and is a Robert Foxworth, who was kind of a, yeah. a staple of 70s and 80s television. Yes. Yes. Fair. And he, he, we saw him in The Omen 2. Right, yes. He's the one constantly campaigning for famine to be a growth opportunity. <laughs> uh, what a guy. So this, this is a part he knows well. <laughs> it is. Uh, he's revisiting old territory, but as much of a contentable ass as he was in the omen too he really takes it up a level like he grabs the asshole sword from uh castle grayskull and holds it up to the sky and achieves the power of a real fucking ass hat in this motion picture well i think he basically is sort of you know he's i feel like he's kind of be like he's like an, an old an aging hippie yeah who kind of into the whole you know, zero population growth thing, which was mm-hmm. which was a, a a thing when when you and I were were born, mm-hmm. you know, several mm-hmm. hundred years ago. Um, <laughs> when when the the best transportation available to you was train, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So he kind of took some of the, the best and worst qualities of that, and you know, became this sort of very cynical, very judgy. You know, kind of looking for every opportunity he can possibly get to grab someone by the collar and shake them. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you some things about the earth, Mister. <laughs> and you know, he he doesn't want children because the world is terrible. And who yeah. would bring a child into this? And what's a condom? I don't know. <laughs> That's certainly someone else's problem, and it can't possibly <laughs> be mine. I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it just it is a real rare treat to watch a character who purports himself and we're constantly told and so many big words come out of his mouth. Like he's super, super smart, but he's also really fucking dumb. And he doesn't understand that his sperm is part of what makes a fucking baby. That's that that's wild y'all. Yeah. I mean, if you are that dedicated and insistent that you are not going to have children whatsoever, it is entirely up to you to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's like an outpatient procedure, and a doctor goes snip on one end of the uh, of that that tube that delivers sperm, and then zip zip tube on the other end, and you're baby free for life, y'all. Yeah, you put some frozen a bag of frozen peas on yourself. You're fine after a day or so. Yeah, you watch some TV. You know, you drink some beer. You get to sit down for a while. Why? Because you had some some tubes in your pee pee uh, snipped. Like it's fine. You got what you wanted. You're not in danger of having a baby. But all the fucking still happens. But no, not Doctor Rob. Doctor Rob's sperm is too important to be cut off. He he's he you know was about when she when she finally does break to him about three quarters of the way into the movie that she's pregnant. Yeah. Uh-huh. He is about a second away from saying, "How did this happen?" Yeah. <laughs> <It's> all, <laughs> you can read like it's in a thought balloon. It literally appears above his head. Like I mm, I'm doing the math on this, and I don't think this is in any way, shape, or form my fault. It's like no, <laughs> you were part that takes two to tango, Doctor Rob. <laughs> fucking ass hat um it should be noted but patrick the, yes the babies are being eaten by rats the babies are being eaten by rats this is part of i think this is like the beauty of this this movie is it it, it purports to show reality it really wants to put you in a real situation so frankenheimer uses this 
archival footage of an indigenous march on the White House. Probably Carter was in office at that point. And uh, then he shows Dr. Rob pulling up to the the Paramount backlot. The very oh obvious just Paramount co- backlot. Just covered in garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they, they stopped doing Soylent Green one day and picked up Prophecy the next. That's how... Yeah out of control, crazy dystopian it looks. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be uh DC, I think, or yeah. Where, where, yeah it's, and, and it looks, it, it looks like goddamn Beirut. I mean, there's like, in, there's like burned out cars. <laughs> just garbage like, everywhere. I'm like, we've, we've briefly talked Wolfen here and there and how it like accurately shows how insane, crazy, there are there are real locations that you could show of tenement houses that were in truly dilapidated stakes. But this movie is too afraid to go into those neighborhoods. So it sent out a production hand to spray paint the outside of a building on the Paramount lot with just white and yellow spray paint. That's it. That's all that's available. Because <laughs> it's easiest to paint over. And all all the writing, all the scribblings in the same handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> when you get in inside in the hallway, then all the scribbling is in black and red because th- that's how you know what's outside and what's inside is the colors of the graffiti change. Oh my god! So yeah, he's responding with an ambulance. He's making house calls. I don't really understand his his job position necessarily. Yeah, he works. For the, he works for the EPA, but also he's a doctor. Which I mean, yeah. But like a, like a medical doctor, which who makes yes. house calls. Which I, yeah. I I I don't know how the two tie in together. I don't either. Uh, all I know is that this place looks terrible. None of the none of these apartment buildings have doors. And apparently, he's the only doctor. But they do have an ice cream guy who seems like he's a fucking hoot. <laughs> like he seems like a real gent that guy i i want i want the movie to be about him he seems lovely uh he goes in and yeah the rats are eating the babies and you get a lot of right righteous indignation from him this is like a weird paradigm because you can it's not the first time we've seen like a kind of character like this because i feel like the 77 version of body snatchers also has this health department guy who's an oh yeah yeah thing. yeah yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. So I, I think they're, like, picking little things like that work. Like, oh, that was a hit. Or I guess it was 78's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like, they're taking a bit from that. They're obviously taking from Jaws, the guy from The Omens involved. Like, they, they think they got it all together. But I am an anti-rat-on-baby-violence guy. Gina, I just <laughs> want to come out and bravely say that and be congratulated <laughs> for it. <laughs> Good, good sport. Good sport. Dr. Rob's supervisor or something, Vic, uh, appears out of the netherverse. Uh, th- that's when we meet the ice cream vendor. Looks like the guy who got his head blown up in scanners, but is not the guy who got his head <laughs> blown up in scanners. Yeah, he all, he looks like Frank Oz if he was crafted by a third grader. <laughs> Everyone has a picture of Frank Oz in their head, and I just, that worked for you because you're... You're that smart that you always know what Frank Oz looks like. He's like a human crown drawing of Frank Oz, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And he's like, oh, my God, Dr. Rob, you're the only one who can do this. Because up in Maine, there's a paper mill that the, the local uh, Native American tribes are saying are stealing their land. And then 
the Supreme Court doesn't want to get involved and none of the land use people want to get involved. It's a political you know, time bomb. So the best way out of this is to send somebody up under the guise of the EPA and just go, yeah, you can cut down this limber, this timber, fuck. Yeah, you can cut down this forest or no, you can't. And Dr. Rob's like, I don't know. There's so much for me to do. I need it here. I got got more babies getting eaten by rats. (laughs) I got a real baby on rat war happening down here. (laughs) Again, anti-baby rat wars. We're just against it. We want to say that, but Dr. Rob feels convinced because this can make a lasting impact. And this will be a, a, a future sign that Dr. Rob gets a real hard on for anything that elevates the status of Dr. Rob. Oh yeah. He's he is, into he it. is, tur- he is turgid. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. So Dr. Rob in his infinite wisdom decides I'm going to drag up my wife, which he does not, he does not know that she is pregnant. But I'm going to drag her up to Maine because this is going to be great. I'm going to go up there and see if this is an ecological disaster and I'll have my wife with me. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And uh, if your bingo card included mutant bear attacks, guess what? That's what goes wrong. <laughs> it's a nice little, nice little honeymoon. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really, that really gets to the heart of, of one of the things I, I noticed on this particular particular watch was that prophecy is jaws if you reinserted all the shitty marital drama from the book yes a bunch of cultural appropriation Uh, but my my favorite part about then going on this trip is that talia shire's character drags her fucking cello with her (laughs) she's the first chair you know that comes with a responsibility you really got to be practicing 24 sevens you know that's her job but then she should have stayed home. I agree. She really should have stayed home. I, I don't know why she's like, you know what? This is going to be the perfect time to tell my husband who does not want to have children. I'm having a baby. <laughs> While he investigates an ecological disaster. Because <laughs> he'll definitely be able to focus on my problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's great. She lands one of those, you can't see the forest for the trees, and Dr. Rob just sits on it, just like, (laughs) "Mm." And finally, she's like, it's a joke. If you have to say it's a joke after saying such a very, you know, pale idiom, things are bad in that relationship. It's not going well. Oh, yeah, they they, they kind of have that weird, like, like, movie relationship where you're told they're a couple, but there's nothing about the way they interact with each other that feels like a couple. There are no sparks coming off these two. Like <laughs> both of them could have those wheels that create sparks and they would still be stifled if they got too close to one another. There is <laughs> no chemistry happening on screen at all. No. You have you have to stare at Amon DeSante to even get like a semi. It's very <laughs> honest with them. I think that uh, I, it very much feels like that that uh, Robert Foxworth and Talia Shire like first met each other like the, the day they started shooting. <laughs> okay, you guys are playing. Okay, you guys are playing husband and wife now. All right, you know I, I think this is a great pairing. So why don't you stand next to each other? Oh, 
um, maybe you should stand farther away from each other. Yeah, that's sexier, right? Everyone thinks that's sexier. They look terrible next to can, one another. Can, can we be casual? No. No. All right. This well. is bad. We should have gotten Sally Field. What do you mean she said no? Oh, she said no fucking way ever. Oh, shit. We're in trouble. <laughs> he is really bad. And then it forces everyone else in the movie to try to make up for the charisma gap. And wandering straight into this right away is a dog on a harness. Best character in the entire movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very sad that that dog had to be flown via helicopter harness and everything, but it's great. It's, it's, it, the film goes downhill after that dog on a harness goes away. <laughs> uh, to replace it, we get a rich vein of gee gosh willikers coming our way from the camping family. Uh, we don't know their names. We'll never learn them. They just... They're the they're, camping they're, family. I, I am boggled. Again, I am I I too am not a particularly outdoorsy person. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean I have gone camping and more or less enjoyed it. <laughs> um but the idea of having to do a three day <laughs> hike before you could even get to your campsite. Yeah. Is like why I live in America. Why would I do that? You know, like no. You know, there's what point during that three day hike would be like less than where you're getting. You're going to be like across the you're going to be on the other end of the state in three days. (laughs) Like, like how how deep and impenetrable is this is this forest? I mean, are they like are they like the the group in the Blair Witch? They just keep walking around in circles. (laughs) Like, it's it's not going to take you three days to get from, you know, the, the. you know, the end of a forest to into the forest. Yeah. And their backpacks are not that big. Like where's all their food? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. But, but the it's sister brother, the sister brought her disco radio. So that's good. Yeah. She's prepared. <laughs> that I do love that her radio seems constantly tuned to interstitial music from chips channel. Uh, I love that part. <laughs> I love faux disco when it comes to like, they could, pay for a song no 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 no. we'll do a faux disco thing everyone loves it it'll be fine it'll never age poorly and then into the scene in a car that has not stopped yet hops richard dysart uh, i who don't ter- who turns out to to be typecast as a guy who who, who gets murdered by a mutant yeah <laughs> who know who knew that this was a role he could easily fill he has, he has been, he has been, he has been in, in his, in his, uh, I don't know if Mr. Dyson is, is still with us, but, but, but his illustrious career has included at least twice getting <laughs> crunched by a monster. Yeah. Uh, Dysart looks like he was born falling asleep on a lazy boy watching golf. He's just <laughs> has an inherent age to him that like he could have been 35 in this movie for all I know, but he looks 60 and that is a talent. It really yes. is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Dysart is playing Bethel Isley from the main contingent of the Isley brothers. And <laughs> he's got that. He's got that Stephen King. Yep. The oh, New England accent going on. Yeah. The ayat is implied, if not spoken aloud <laughs> at all times. <laughs> um, and then he's like, why, why are you flying that dog? 
on the helicopter. He's like, ah, well, we had some forestry boys uh, go up there and they got missing. So then we sent the rescue team and then they disappeared. And he's, he's like, you know, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but then Dr. Rob is like, is that possible? Yeah. Yes, it's possible for a rescue team to disappear. I, what the fuck are it's possible, but like they're not inherently undisappearable. That's not well, it's, it's possible if for whatever reason they're doing their, their search and rescue at night, <laughs> which, which they full bore which, at night, which they are for, for no discernible reason. Well, they're trying to chase after after that dog who's such in such a hurry to leave the movie that he flies off a fucking cliff. So, you know, there's there's that. Then we get to watch all these people drive in cars for I shit you not four straight minutes. Like yeah, feels a little feels a little once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, at least once upon a time in Hollywood is giving us something like they're driving on a dirt road through trees. I get it. I get that we're like in a forest. But this movie's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Forest! Forest! Forest. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, like the soundtrack is having a fucking heart attack while this is going on. You're like, they're still just driving on a road, right? I'm, I didn't miss something. I, I feel like this is, you know, time that could have been saved by just doing a a uh you know a crane shot of showing mm. you know just how isolated they are in the, yeah. in, the, in the forest which is what i assume they're trying to do like just how far removed from civilization they're getting yeah but i don't need four fuck. right right no i know but but I, that's why i'm saying that i think you know one long you know a, you know above shot you know would have would have taken care of that but they either didn't <laughs> want to do that or couldn't do that it's like John Frankenheimer was given access to a helicopter and reams of film. And they're like, listen, we'll give you a, a, an extra thousand bucks. If this movie is unnecessarily a hundred minutes long, and he's like, <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> and this, this, this amazingly riveting footage is only interrupted when we welcome Italian born and bred Armand DeSante. And oh, John God. Hawks. He's so and, bad at this. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, he's, his, he's his yummy face, eyes, but that's his about it. His face is stone. <laughs> and it, it, he looks just like, what the fuck have I done? Like, 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 I mean, I realize that his, his characters is also like Dr. Ross is going to be very serious. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you know, to the point where, you know, he is putting his own, possibly putting his own self-righteousness above the needs and safety of everybody else yeah but you know i mean at least they, the, the best thing i can say is at least they don't have a you know we're not so different you and i conversation but mm-hmm. but um but yeah he's just like he's just glowering through this entire movie like like he got tricked into signing the contract for it <laughs> like you know, like like he like he woke up like he woke up one morning after a bender on the set of this movie and saying five minutes mr asante <laughs> It's like, well, I didn't, what? I didn't what? sign up for a mutant bear movie where I play a Native American, right? I did. Well, actually, Ooh. Mr. Asante, the oh. contract here. Is that is that signed? I signed that? Oh, shit. It's an A and some scribbling. Oh, my 
my God, it's going to be a very uncomfortable evening at the Oscars when this movie is up for best picture. I mean, <laughs> boy, Sally Field's going to feel really stupid that she wasn't in this movie. Right, guys? Right? Right? Oh, she said she said it was bullshit. She said it was the worst idea anyone had ever approached her with. Oh, fuck. How do I get out of this movie? He can't. He's locked in. But thank goodness. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we get an axe on chainsaw fight, and it's it's underwhelming. <laughs> it is underwhelming because there's no dramatic stakes. I mean, you know that this uh, that neither of these people are going to kill the other person. Yes, they're they're going for uh, bragging rights. <laughs> My favorite part about this is is how you know, like Talia Shire looks a little bit put out. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Rob, you know, sort of incensed, but Doctor Rob always looks incensed about yeah. something, and 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 Dicehart's character is like, oh, you know, no big deal. This happens all the time. Now, every it, once it, in it, a while, we got to settle a dispute with an axe and chainsaw <laughs> fight. I, uh, that's what we do up here. That's We're- just country living for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, Doctor Rob's just like, must we? Must I mean, I mean, have this fight. I mean, I'm just you know amazed that they don't get back in the car, turn it around, and go in the other direction. <laughs> but they should. That's the the wacky thing here is like, is it the best way to conduct an environmental impact examination to put you in a cabin that's at least two fucking hours away from the source of the problem? Also, one researcher. Yeah, I, I I don't know I I don't profess to know how these kinds of things work, but but I assume that you need a team. Yeah, you 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 need you know someone to take the samples. You need another person to look at the samples. You need a third person to write the report. No, he's getting the samples himself and mailing them. <laughs> That's the which, best which way is to not, keep your samples fresh. Is which, to which mail does not. Them. Which does not seem like a practical use of your uh, of, of your resources. No, I don't think resources were ever considered in the making of this film. I mean, it's obviously concocted by somebody who knows as much about environmental problems as he did the devil. He just got away with it the first time. Like he's not <laughs> trying to explain how the devil works necessarily in the omen, and it. it you just kind of buy it because it's so beautifully theatrical and over the top that knows its tone very well here. Boy, oh boy, no one. I mean, the tone is, this is Gandhi set in the main <laughs> woods. We're talking about very important things. They are so important. And you know, it's important when you watch a large salmon eat a duck on camera. <laughs> And then am I supposed to be scared by this? Am I supposed to be frightened or even concerned when I watch a large prop fish eat a duck? Also, I mean, I I don't know how big salmon get. That could have been a perfectly normal sized salmon for all I know. (laughs) But we get like a full fucking fishing scene of Dr. Rob. And so we get like this very long sequence in which we maybe hear bears breathing hard in the woods. And then Amon Desante shows up and be like, am I supposed to be here? Yes. No. Okay. I go now. And then he leaves. That's the same. (laughs) 
Dr. Rob proceeds, you know, as Talia Shire is trying to get through to him, like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to tell him that we're having a baby. And at the mere mention of, you know, I feel like we should be the only people in our family. He gets up. He's, Oh no, we're not going to talk about feelings. We're not going to talk about emotions. I'm a very serious person. I am Dr. <laughs> I miss the piece of the ghetto Rob. <laughs> that is an actual line. I miss the piece of the ghetto. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't think I was going to get through this movie with notes. Uh, I started two days ago. <laughs> I did it in piecemeal, but holy jamoli, there was a lot to write down. And then there would be, long stretches of time where I'm wondering why is this movie wasting its own time and mine? It just would just meander for long periods of time. And then every once in a while you have a rabid raccoon fight and you're like, Hey baby, we're back in business. <laughs> Before we have a rabid raccoon fight though, we do get to see a makeout session. And I have a question to ask you, Gina, and that is, do you think Talia Shire receives stunt pay for kissing uh, Robert Foxworth in the condition he shows up here? God, I hope so. Who was not receiving stunt pay is that raccoon, that live raccoon they have a fight with. Uh, he does a great job. Some of the best acting in the movie. I would say it's under dog on harness from helicopter, but very close. Yeah, it, it, the the actual live animals in this are, are are much better actors than the humans. Yeah, they're very natural. Not to put too fine a point on it, but I just did. Uh, he manages to kill that raccoon by decapitating it semi with an oar and then throwing it into the fire. And then he and then they they go off the next day and he's on the phone with somebody. He's like, "Did you did you get the the tissue samples of this raccoon?" examine my raccoon because he he is you know evidently mailing these samples and like i guess he's overnight mailing it like who's paying for this <laughs> i don't know i i assume the federal government is and whatever the federal government wants it gets and that even includes fast shipping on semi-burned rabid raccoon meat um sure why not but at the same i don't know uh, canoe race <laughs> they're making this phone call from uh hawks uh, approaches dr rob and says listen i know you're here to do a job but part of the, the environmental impact is the actual people who live here which i'm a member and i would like you to see them and dr rob does not take kindly to this suggestion that he do his fucking job well, yeah, I mean, you know, how, how dare you you tell the brilliant Dr. Rob that he should be looking at something else but other than what he's what he's what he's examining. Yeah, he doesn't have it on the books. Uh and and he's like, did they did they tell you that we were violent? Did they tell you we were savages? And he's like, Well Oh yeah, the, my, my my favorite part is that um Richard Dysart's character tries to claim that the it's the native it's 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 the Native American people who are just murdering and apparently eating the uh you know the the people who've gone missing in the forest yeah yeah it's and he travels with a constant posse of goons and he's thinking like the he'll dr rob will never believe hawks because i am constantly walking around with armed chainsaw goons like he's he's it, it, as far as like racist logic it really works for that character 
And so like Rob's like, um, like, I, I don't, I don't know how, how to help you here. And Hawks is like, well, these people are violent towards us. And Dr. Rob's attitude is kind of like, well, you know, like, what were you wearing? Were you in a bar by yourself? <laughs> were you asking for it? It's kind of like, Rob, Dr. Rob. To quote a, uh, a Patrick Hamilton favorite, that seems like a YP, not an MP. <laughs> <laughs> it very much is. So they, they all go off uh, to visit uh, Grandpa Marai. And <laughs> I, I swear to God, every time Grandpa speaks, I expect to be like some mystical pan flute music playing in the background. <laughs> it's implied. Once again, that's an implied thing in this motion picture. And we get one of those beautiful moments that I just, someone thought this, like I need to portray someone being this subtly racist and micro-triggery. When Maggie sees him, she's just like, you have a lovely teepee. <laughs> like he's a, he's an old indigenous guy. He's not entirely deaf. That doesn't really help with the translation there. I know he does have a hearing age in his ear, but shouting at him is not helping here. Um, the guy who's playing Mirai is actually the, the first indigenous performer to actually speak words in the movie. Uh, Ramona plays his granddaughter, and she's played by Victoria Racomo, um, who is of Filipino-Irish descent. <laughs> well, this movie <laughs> does not give a fuck for trying to get this verisimilitude out there. It's just like, well, to to be to be fair, uh, that was you know oh, that was a thing. <laughs> it was bigger, you know, to be fair. Yeah, I mean. You know, there was a lot of embarrassing, you know, you know quote unquote Native American casting mm. up, up until probably like the, like, I wonder how I talk about when the fuck did the Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp come out? <laughs> was that it was like 10 years ago? The hurdle. Um, yeah, we we're we're yeah, we don't really have much room to to chide them for their, you know, their 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 poor casting decisions. Yeah. This is true. Uh, we we can still point it out. Uh, the other thing that gets pointed out to us is the uh, the true majesty, the glory, the it's so beautiful you can't take your eyes off of it. Of it's the paper mill. Um, the I have to admit, I I found the 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 extended <laughs> sequences in the paper mill. It was a little bit like watching like an like an educational film. Yeah. You know, yeah, like like it should have had somebody like we often have no idea what paper how much use does paper have in our lives. <laughs> you have it in your desk. You have it in your <laughs> office. Your father uses it to read the news. But do you know where paper comes from? Imagine a day without paper. <laughs> <laughs> then a magical paper creature goes, Well, you got your wish. And then all no, the paper hold. things disappear. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, this movie has not met a fanfare that it couldn't shove on screen. Like, we are getting a paper mill tour in real time. It's just astounding. And it just takes like a full 10 minute scene for <laughs> Dr. Rob to ask, like, do you know all the chemicals that are used in the process? And he's like, yeah, there's like two. But they never leave the they they never you know leave the factory, so it's it's not an issue. Why don't you go test the water? And on their way back to their boat, because they took the boat 
to the paper mill because who wouldn't when you're two hours away on a lake from the paper mill? Tally Shire, uh, you know, missteps off a log and comes up with mercury on her. Yeah, we have this other chemical. Oh, yeah, and we use mercury. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, like the idea is, oh, we forgot about the mercury. Yeah. Oopsie doodle. It's mercury all the way down. Uh, You know, Dr. Rob's like, they they had a trick question in medical school. What's uh, liquid but isn't, you know, what what's what's like water but isn't liquid it's mercury and then he's like we get an entire sequence in the cabin where it revolves around him recording his own voice of his freeform thoughts and i i know this is odd coming from someone who is also sitting in his own house speaking aloud freeform into a microphone but it's not inherently cinematic that's why there haven't been any movies about podcasters. Yet. Right. Uh, this, it, it, this is like, it isn't really so much a horror movie so much as it must, what it must be like to attend the worst live podcast recording of all time. <laughs> like <laughs> the audacity to, to think like I've never held off on explaining something to Becky and then go, you know what, you know what we'll do a better job of explaining this to you? A podcast I recorded play and I walk out of the room this happens in this movie. Prophecy, the movie that dares you to watch people listen to a cassette tape. <laughs> but we learn what is happening here because mer- Mercury is mutating the animals uh, from birth on. And uh, earlier we had heard that the indigenous tribes were having trouble with newborns and fetal abnormalities. And this is when Dr. Rob yells, Freakism! at the top of his lungs. And we get Talia Shire going, wait a second. I have bebe. What about my bebe? I ate fish. The fish have the mercury. Now the mercury is in bebe. Oh no. Oh no. And that, that, that is a real thing uh, that is terrible and has real life circumstances. And this movie is like, aren't we brave for tackling this subject? Yeah, and, and I, I'm a little dubious that a, a medical doctor, you know, even even you know in the seventies would would use the word freakism <laughs> to 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 describe uh, deformities yeah. caused by caused by by chemical poisoning. I'm gonna break it down to you like a real person from the streets, which I am, because I go to the ghetto for at least two hours three times a week. Freakism. I, I see. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen rats eat babies. <laughs> I've seen real baby on rat fights in pits. Usually this takes place in international waters, but it's taking place on our shores. I've seen it with my own eyes, my own doctor eyes. <laughs> um, now we're about an hour into this movie and we've only seen one very implied bear attack. And you're thinking, well, for a mutant bear attack movie, this is somewhat dry on the mutant bear attacks. Well, you're in, well, luck in Dick Fingers because that beautiful hiker family in mid-sleep is going to be visited by this mutant bear. Inside of that mutant bear costume, the director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. <laughs> I shit you not. Tom McLaughlin director of Friday the 13th part six and a man who was uh, trained 
and mime by Moomenshots is in that fucking costume. And it's not his best work. <laughs> Just go right out and say it. I don't know who would have done it better, but he doesn't do it great. Other than the dog and the duck and the <laughs> raccoon, mm-hmm. is anybody really doing their best work here? Uh, Armand DeSante's eyebrows are fantastic. So they've got that going for him. Uh, and I love the way that the guy who plays Mirai, his his eyeglasses are tilted because one of his ears has the hearing aid. He looks great. That's a great touch. Um, but everything else here is is kind of sad. Yeah. With the exception of what happens to that one boy when he tries to hop away from this bear attack. The bear swats him. And he flies as if launched from a cannon into a <laughs> rock and he explodes. Just feathers everywhere. And like if you were in an audience full of people watching that, it would be hilarious and awesome. Right? Right. But but is it supposed to be funny though? No. I, I don't think it is. I, no. I think it's supposed to be, oh my God, this is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yes, it, that is what they're. What has what is. has God? What has God and man brought? <laughs> I mean, you can still ask the questions, but I don't know that it ever really achieves that level of moment again. A couple people also get flung. Like there's some okay death moments, but that is like it's it's a big one to go in and out on an hour into a movie. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's definitely like when the movie peaks. Yeah. If you're expecting it to ever be that good again. And then after, and then after that, you're looking at your watch a lot. (laughs) So later, uh, while, uh, Dr. Rob is taking blood draws from, from the indigenous people in the forest, uh, Isley and his chainsaw goons show up. And uh, with the popo, and they attempt to haul away hawks. <laughs> Another choice moment happens. It's not as glorious, but I, I did appreciate it in that we see Armand Asante take off like a bullet inside of the cabin, and then they pull a Texas switch, and a stunt man dives out of a window. <laughs> and, makes it, and the rest of them look at it like, well, I'm not fucking diving through that window. That, that guy's just gone. Like, He's in the forest now. I mean, granted, it's 20 feet away, but he he's just gone. He just he disappeared. Yeah, he cannonballed through that thing. So this prompts Dr. Rob to drag his wife, to drag both of them in a helicopter, uh, you know, very far into the forest. So we get a lot of helicopter on helicopter footage. Oh, yeah. I, I, I Clearly, at least 25% of the budget went into renting a helicopter. Yeah. And then this contrivance happens that's so beautiful. Like they, oh, it's a storm and we can't leave because the helicopter, you know, with the wind might veer into the trees. So the helicopter guy's like, I'm not fucking taking off. Like we're just going to have to find shelter and come back uh, after the storm passes by. And Talia Shire slowly gets out of the helicopter and then attempts to put a handkerchief on her hair in this. <laughs> This you know terrible rainstorm and it just thoom, flies out of her hands <laughs> it's just like it's fucking amazing like i don't think you could try to do what happens in in that particular sequence it's just one of those things that happened on camera and is beautiful how pitiful it all looks but 
The good news is, is that she tracks down that handkerchief and it happens to be near two mutated bear babies, one alive and the other very much dead. They're the freaking stain bears. <laughs> should have had, had Bill Walker there. <laughs> they're, uh, they're slime puppets, but slime puppets are puppets too. And and, and the noise, they make the same noises noise as their parents, only a little higher, a little more nasal. So it's yeah. like... And now, here's the thing. Here's the thing mm-hmm. that that really drove me to distraction about this movie and its last 25, 30 minutes mm-hmm. is they take the still living baby, yeah. the little, little 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 mutant bear. Like I said, it looks like a little little plastic doll and stuck in a microwave for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and they keep it with them, and they keep it with them, and they keep it with them. And, you know, the, the mother bear is chasing after them and they are insisting on keeping this baby with them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm like, I, what are you going to, are you going to treat it? What are you he going to do? Treat it. He does treat leave, it. <laughs> you leave the fucking bear where you found him. You know what I mean? I didn't learn I, I, a again, lot in the Boy Scouts, but fuck with the mama bear's babies is real high up on that list of no. Yeah. I, most, most people who, who, you know, have gone on, you know, a camping trip or, or, you know, to, you know, any kind of like, you know, you animal preserve or something like that. Don't fuck with the animals. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't try to touch the babies. Definitely don't remove the babies from, from, from where you find them. (laughs) But like, there's such an easy solution. And, and, so many people get killed because of this. Oh, yeah, so many, like, sick people get killed. Yeah, I don't know because, why someone because, doesn't say, leave the one that's alive. Because it can either take care of itself or its mother will return to it. Let's take the carcass of the dead one with us. Yeah, I mean, if you need it for research purposes, take the dead one. It's right there. Yeah, they, they just, you know, he just spends his whole time, you know, and I guess it's supposed to, you know, I don't know. Is, is that supposed to, like, telegraph to the audience that, Oh, see, you have a heart after all. You know, he's taking care of this little, this little baby, and it's just like, no, put the fucking baby down. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's a real problem. And this is later. This is when that conversation occurs, where where Maggie finally tells Doctor Rob that I was pregnant, and she's kind of like, why, why, why? And she says, I wanted a baby, and he kind of he almost says, we'll get a new baby. <laughs> <laughs> Like we'll make a second one, I guess, is what we're going towards because this one is mutated. I, I just hate to break it to you. And she's like, no, uh, I'm still into it. And so into this little into grandpa's uh you know housing village deep in the forest, here comes this giant snuffleupagus that's <laughs> caught a Kira disease. And he just starts killing every fuck. Yeah, I like I like the, the, the I like the grandpa like just leads the bear. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> just, just kill just kill everybody. You know, you know, eat my granddaughter. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, kill kill my fellow villagers. It's all right, we have it coming. He's got a it's like you don't you you don't have it coming. Yeah, he's got a what real, did you do? He's got a real live and let live attitude towards this massacre. Even even when the, the bear eventually kills him too, he's just like well. <laughs> You know what? It was meant. That's to the be. law. That's a, 
that's the law of nature for you. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes you observe the bear and sometimes you observe the inside of the bear's mouth as he crunches your skull. <laughs> and luckily for the survivors of this attack, there, there's a series of, of caves underneath each of, of the teepees um, that are hidden from view. And the, the sheriff who has arrived to observe the babies uh, then goes, well, it's all quiet. I'm going to look up. Gonna just a little picky and just see what's doing. Okay, be right back. And he his head is not up there one second before he gets <laughs> mega mauled. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. It's, it's amazing. And so for the rest of the film, poor Talia Shire is forced to haul around. Like I can't imagine how her agent pitched her this. Like. Honey, it's a great role. You get pregnant with a mutant baby, and then you haul around a screaming bear puppet for the last half hour. I smell Oscar. <laughs> and like, well, I guess. All right, you know, I've always wanted to learn how to play the cello, so this is gonna be the way to do it. This is the way to do it. And so. After this attack, half the camp burns down. The guy who was in the chainsaw fight lights on fire and they crawl out of the caves in the early morning light. And Eyes is like, wait a second. I've got the perfect plan. Let's split up. I'm going to go to this, the forestry station's radio hut and I'm just going to break in with my bare hands and make a broadcast. And you guys will get picked up in like two hours. And they're like, well, the helicopter pilot isn't going to, isn't going to make it. So we're going to try to long haul it back to our cabin. He's like, great. Listen, we've all got a job to do. Let's do it. And so Isley goes to this camp after we watch him huff and puff up several hills. He meets the dead baby covered in ants. So again, that was the way to go. Take the dead baby, leave the live one. But mm, Okay. And then he tries to crawl under the gate that's protecting the radio station. And it's implied that he gets torn in half. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think he gets, he, you know, he goes out like Clint where, where the, uh, you know, the, the bear, the bear monster kind of gobbled him up from like the legs up. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is a slow motion chase where we like watch a Desante run for two and a half minutes or, they pile themselves in a bus and then we watch that bus go along a, a trail for four fucking minutes. Or you won't believe the suspense that happens when I flash this flashlight in front of trees that are obviously being moved by grips off camera. <laughs> <laughs> the bear appears and exactly when that happens, <laughs> Maggie is bitten by the live mutant bear baby. So, I assume that Maggie is now vampire. <laughs> vampire. Is that how vampires are made? I, I guess she's just going to, you know, she's going to wake up next night. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mama mutant bear pushes over the bus and uh, every, the guy who, the helicopter pilot who was in, in the sort of his own basket uh, that they were hauling about, uh, he's left kind of to his own devices because no one can get him out of it. And the bear just, like you said, takes off his head like a Tootsie Pop. It only takes one bite to get to the center. <laughs> the world will know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you probably read um, 
Stephen King's Don's Macabre. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He 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 uh, he he mentions that because he he loves that scene. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> like Quentin Tarantino also loves this movie, and I get what I, the moments I love. I just don't love the entirety of the movie. I, for Stephen King, it must be like, oh, they're finally making a horror movie in Maine. Like <laughs> for him, it's well, like I a mean, proof Steve, of concept. <laughs> Stephen King's taste in movies is a little suspect, really but is. you know. <laughs> he, he likes movies that are projected and can be seen with eyeballs. He's got a low threshold. Um, yeah, I, you're, that's absolutely true. I, although I do love to this day still reading uh, Dance Macabre. I, I think it's a very interesting book about what works in horror and what doesn't. And what is kind of touched on there is, is, is more about horror iconography what isn't is like how do you make a character that you care for and i think one of the big ones of like oh i don't like this character so much that decision is suspect is when dr rob makes his pregnant wife swim with a mutant bear cub (laughs) are you fucking kidding me gina yeah, his his wife who was pregnant with a child who may have freakism. It's like, hey, you're in you're in charge of this mutant bear baby. It's bitten you on the neck once, but it probably won't happen while we're swimming. Wait, it happened again? Yes, asshole. It's like you wanted you wanted the baby. Get some practice taking care of one. <laughs> this is the perfect. You know, if some kids in high school have to take care of an egg, you have to take care of a grotesque, burnt, eraser-looking bear mutant. Uh, and then if it's still alive by the time we get to the dock, let's have a child together. You will have proven to me that you are worthy of my seed. Oh, <laughs> is the word like it is a real race to the bottom, Gina. And Dr. Yes. Rob is taking the cake for me. I would, I would, I would agree. He's definitely up there, down there, however you want to put it. Yeah. Uh, so they swim to the other side. Meanwhile, Mariah is like, Oh, hi, um, this ancient uh, god that I worship. What? You want my face in your mouth? Okay. And <laughs> that happens. <laughs> and we, we see them from a distance with this giant 12-foot-tall mutated bear with a dummy, an obvious dummy, Gina. Love it. Love it. Swinging it around in its mouth. <laughs> Because it can't do anything else. And you're like, oh my God. If all of the movie was like that, I'd like it more. It's just, yes. It's just not that. Uh, it, it, need, it needs to give in and, and be silly. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it, 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 well, let me, let me rephrase that. It's very silly, but it's not trying to be silly. Yeah. It's unintentional. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, but it, it needed to embrace its silliness. Yeah. But it, it is too self serious for that. So now we have a final siege situation where they're inside the cabin and they, they lock up, they manage. I don't know how they affix all the tableware to the doors and windows. I never see a hammer. Do you? No. And yet things seem to stay up, up against it. Like all the furniture just has loose upward nails inside of it. So you just shove it against the wall and it affixes itself to it. It doesn't matter because that bear comes in through the roof, not once, but twice. <laughs> it's like, I am very tall. I'm not entering your six foot door, everyone, but nice try. And so 
during this confusion, uh, Ramona gets buried in Detrius and then they go outside and they get a couple shots off at it. Like a single bullet is going to bring this fucking thing down. And uh, Cox is like shooting arrows into it. And finally the bear just looks at Hawks and is like, all right, I'm done with this. And it swats his ass. <laughs> he goes flying, you know, akin to a child in a sleeping bag, uh, but not as feathery uh, <laughs> off in the distance. And then for some reason, the bear then picks up Dr. Rob very gingerly. <laughs> now, this bear has not shown any kindness or anything approaching uh, delicate uh, nature. And he's just kind of hoists him up so that he is near his face. And kind of like, I want to lick you. And Dr. Rob's like, I got this one arrow that I couldn't fire because my dumb white hands, my doctor hands were never trained to do this. And he just begins stabbing the bear in the face. And the the, the bear kind of responds like, all right, I see. I had that coming. I'm just going to take it. <laughs> I'm just going to keep you holding you up, up where I am most vulnerable. And hopefully you'll get your anger out and then I can eat you. But unfortunately for that mutant bear, uh, Dr. Rob nails it in the eye and it goes sploosh, just pops like a, a wet blood balloon all over everything. Yep. But of course, as the helicopter flies away or the plane or the hell they're on, <laughs> we- there's, a, there's another one. I love a good, but wait, there's more yeah. ending. They went for the carry scare and then they're like, well, you know, baby bear was just right. And Mama Bear was too cold. Let's get something hot up in here. And you get a real nice close-up of Daddy Bear. And he looks great in comparison to everything else. You're like, yeah, you Daddy Bear is like you, bigger and uglier. Why did you save the good-looking bear puppet for the last three-second reveal? Well, I'm pretty sure all they had was the head. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. If I remember the uh the uh behind the scenes features uh correctly. That that is uh that is entry one in animal attacks. April. What are the animals punishing us for? Polluting the water with mercury. All right, so that's one thing. We have it coming because one, we're polluting nature with mercury. So you're right, we got that coming. Uh the other thing we've got coming is choose your own death venture. That's where we decide of the deaths portrayed in the film. Uh, which one would you choose to die from and why, if forced? Uh, up for bid is mauled, 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 swatted in sleeping bag, mauled, mauled and burned to death, mauled in a hole, decapitated in stretcher, half swallowed, and then swatted but outside a sleeping bag. Gina, what say you? I'm not gonna take uh, swatted sleeping bags. I know that that that's gonna be yours, and I don't I don't want to I don't I don't want to infringe upon your your pleasure with uh-huh. that. Uh, oh, gosh, um, I mean we can share it. I'm I'm willing to share if that is your desire. You're not taking glory uh, from me. You know what? I'll, I'll take I'll take um, my head crunched off like a lollipop. <laughs> it's quick. It is really quick. That is a great Texas switch that they do there. Uh, Frankenheimer loves his Texas switches and. Uh, that that really works um yeah i'm going with swatted in the sleeping bag uh, it is my worst fear to be camping and have something happen to me so i'm asking for it in a lot of ways and i go out in glorious style uh that pretty much does it gina where can people find you on these here internets i write 
uh, about television and movies at theschool.net. And I am on Twitter under porcelain 7 Do it today, people. Check it out. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook group. We've got Instagram going ever so occasionally. We're on Letterboxd. That's where we you can see all the movies we're thinking about covering in the future. And next week, we're right back at it. It's Animal Attacks April, everyone. That's right. It's a We're going movie after movie after movie here. And we got a real slimy one for you. If you thought the marriage in this movie was bad, <laughs> wait till you see the next one. You won't believe it, everybody. Uh, it's a little ditty called Slugs, brought to you by the director of one of our favorites here at Kill by Kill, Pieces. So imagine <laughs> Pieces, but with mutated slugs. Slugs is too, like Pieces, exactly what you think it is. <laughs> and I think it's going to be our next episode next week. So don't worry, folks. The body count will continue for myself and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.